Hey, it's the Adventist City Ministries podcast, and we're going to jump right in. We are talking about righteousness. Last time we spoke about the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and now we're going to talk a little bit more about what the righteousness of God is. So righteousness, in my estimation, is the ability to do right or when you're able to perform, at least outwardly, and maybe inwardly too, you know, thinking about righteousness. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, the word right is the the base of the whole word. And and it's right in 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 God's economy. In other words, this is being right with God, so to speak, and how he sees things as right. Romans chapter 117 says, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. And that word revealed means made effective. And so um, so we're going to look at these two things almost in an equivalent, like they almost blend together as the same thing. The gospel is the righteousness of God. So we need to make a statement about that because at this point, because when it comes to people understanding the whole idea of salvation, a lot of times they forget what part they want to think about. This is God's part and this is my part. And we want to get that clear. If anything else, that's the lesson we want to clarify today. Right. Like almost we have this certain duty that we have to perform and it's like we have this, um, we have a cup and, you know, oh, well, here's my part. Jesus, you're just going to have to fill that up for me so that I can, uh, you know, have a full cup and then I'll be happy. What we're saying is, no, that's not what the gospel is. It's all of what Jesus has done for us. Yeah. And first off, I think that we need to understand our position or where we're at in terms of whether or not we're righteous or not. It's, it's always important for us to know where we start with regards to these things. Are we right? Are we with God? Are we uh, do we live righteous lives? And we can go, uh, Paul speaks to this directly in chapter three, uh, starting with verse nine. And he says this, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. So I've heard people argue about the innocence of children and how they, you know, they don't deserve and, uh, you know, go back to the stories in the Old Testament of how could God do these acts, uh, you know, against children. And, um, and so, you know, we want to, we definitely want to address those things. Yeah. And it's, that's addressed in chapter three as, as well. All have sinned. It's a past tense that doesn't apply if you're a baby, but yet it's, it says all. So we, we can talk about that a little bit later as to how that is true, how that we've all sinned, maybe because of something somebody else did like Adam. That's probably the truth of it. Because yeah, this always uh, was bugging me in the back of my mind until I really understood what Paul was talking about, because it's, it's much more complex than just a, you know, kind of like a blame game of, well, we can't be held responsible for what our parents did because, you know, we weren't there and we didn't make that choice. But the way that the Bible writers thought is is very different from the way that, you know, modern society, uh, you know, West, especially Western culture thinks. Yeah. In fact, that verse I just quoted, all have sinned. That takes us all the way back to, to Adam, where in Adam, because he's the father of the human race, we, we all 
in Adam sinned. That's very clear teaching in the New Testament. But it, it says, even if that's not the case, it, it follows up with a second statement. It says, they fall short of the glory of God. In other words, they, that's, that's present tense. So even if we don't want to claim our past tense inheritance in, in Adam, the fact is, is that we all fall short day by day, moment by moment sometimes. So we need righteousness. We need righteousness of God. We need the gospel in order to be restored, uh, to, to be saved, to be redeemed. And it's called the righteousness of God in Romans because it's God's righteousness. In other words, if I say it's something is Andrew's, I can't say it's partly mine. They just have to say it's Andrew's and this is God's righteousness. He planned it. He enacted upon it. He directed it and he made it true in his son, Jesus Christ. And as we look at that, as we look at those things, we see there was nothing on our part added to what God was doing to make his righteousness known. So when we think about the way that God created the universe to operate in my mind, when you're obeying those principles, then you're being righteous. You are operating the way that God would. So when I think about God, uh, my, my mind goes to first John four, eight and 16 that talk about how God is love. Uh, so out of that love comes all the attributes of God and to go against those attributes is to go against that love. And so to go against who God is, is to be unrighteous. Yeah. I think, I think that's the essence of what, I mean, you're really hitting on it in that. Uh, and I, I love that. I love those texts because it doesn't say God is loving. It's not a characteristic that way. It's who he is. It's the very essence. God is love. He is agape and agape is a special kind of love. The Greek word for, for love in that text, special kind of love that God, only God really has and that he wants us to uh, receive from him. So everything that God does is righteous because he operates from a source of love. That's right. That's right. Do you want to go to uh, verse 18 yet? Sure. And it talks about the wrath of God being revealed because of ungodliness here it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So when we talk about unrighteousness, then it would be the opposite of righteousness would be going against God's love and the way that he made things to work. Right. If we want to really make it simple, because he uses two words there that says his wrath is against, right? He's, it says it's against ungodliness and unrighteousness. It's no mistake that it's in that order, okay? Because uh, unrighteousness is a symptom of being ungodly. And you just declared, or you just kind of shared with us through that, that God is love, right? And so when we become unloving, and especially in the demonstration of agape love or unconditional love, when we, when we, uh, live our lives in that manner, 
that means that we're ungodly and therefore unrighteousness abounds out of that. If you're unloving, all kinds of nasty stuff begins to happen, you know? Yeah, and that's why the epistles of John talk about treating other people the way that God wants them to be treated because, you know, if you don't love your neighbors, then you, you can't know God. That's where that verse comes up about God being love. So let's, 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 uh, let's talk more about this ungodliness because that really connects with the fact that Romans also says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. You know, we're all unrighteous. Yeah. In fact, we read a text that said there is no one righteous, none. We're, we're starting at that point. That's our starting point is being unrighteous. And that means if we're unrighteous, that we're also ungodly or not like God, so to speak. And so going back to our last lesson, Jesus came into the picture in, in human flesh and he, he, he was God and human at the same time, 100% divine, 100% human. And so he was the example of what the combination of righteousness or godliness and humanity could be look like when they were combined together. We're not without example of what that would look like. But in addition to that, that's the plan. The plan is, this is for God, is to, as we accept what Christ has done on our behalf as we believe it, as we move into faith upon it. The immediate exposure then is the Holy Spirit is poured out on us, right? And again, I go back to Romans chapter five. It says that the love of God is poured into us. Paul makes the appeal for the love of God to be poured into to us in his prayer in Ephesians chapter three, that we would be filled with the fullness of God the love of God is implied. In other words, in order to be what Christ desires us to be, we need to, uh, we have to move into belief of what Jesus has done and accept the fullness of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And it comes with God's love and that changes who we are. Let's go back and talk about ungodliness a little bit more because that reminds me of Adam and Eve because that was the first instance where there was ungodliness. Adam decided that he wanted to disobey God. And in fact, it really separated him from God's love. He willingly made that choice. And so in, an, in a sense, he ungodified himself, you know, he, he withdrew from the way that God did things and thought he could do better. Yeah, sort of he substituted his own, you know, uh, wisdom for the wisdom of God within him. But the act itself was unrighteousness. This is the sin that he committed was unrighteous because un unrighteousness is the result of ungodliness. That's the way Paul is teaching it here. And so that, uh, you know, we, when we reject God, we reject God instead of accepting him then we've moved into ungodliness because when we decide to separate ourselves from him, he no longer in can influence us the way uh, he would like to or be part of our lives because he, he allows us to have our own free will. And it, but when we do that, the further we reject him, the more unrighteousness begins to abound in our lives because there's nothing to temper it anymore. There's no voice speaking inside. 
as loudly or as clearly and our ears become deaf to the Holy Spirit trying to speak to us. Unrighteousness begins to abound. That's the whole of chapter one of Romans. It's this, it's this cascade that occurs when we reject God for who he is and, and then our unrighteousness begins to occur in our lives. And he even goes to the point where even those who aren't Christians, he says, are left without excuse because we can come to know God in two ways, through other, one through other people and the second through the very nature that is around us. And so we are left without excuse to consider who God is and say yes to him and his ways. Uh, and, uh, and, and really, that's the only way we can stave off the unrighteousness that so easily you know, comes upon us. And when I say unrighteousness, I just mean sin. It's easy to sin these days if, if we don't have God firmly planted within us. Yeah, God is such a gentleman, you know, he allows us to have our own way. He does. And it means that we're left to the only thing we know. And because we have no inner strength, then we'll just fall deeper and deeper into the selfishness that we are already, you know, have already cultivated and have already, you know, brought into our lives. And so that's that's where I see Paul going throughout the rest of the, the, the first chapter. Yeah. And by the way, um, unrighteousness is not a static position. Uh, Paul describes it as a cascade. The more we reject God in our lives, the more our unrighteousness will abound. It will just get, it's just going to keep getting deeper and deeper, sort of like addiction or uh, anything. And, and I don't say that to be mean. I'm just saying I'm using it as a word is, is we cascade deeper into trouble when we start down a path like that. And so that's what Paul's trying to describe here is the condition of mankind, of humanity without God, is that we become more and more unrighteous. And the problem with that is that righteousness is required for us to be saved. And so we have to reverse the cascade. Now, so I would ask the question to a person then is, so what's more important for us to overcome our unrighteousness or to become more godly? Right, and the answer would be to come closer to God. Because if we are incapable of being righteous, you know, if we don't know how to do good, then it doesn't matter how hard we'll try. You know, it doesn't matter how much we grit our teeth and, you know, dig our heels in. But if we come close to God, if we allow him to soften our hearts and to move us into a place where we can trust him, then just his presence alone can be healing. Yeah, because God and sin can't be present together. And so as we, as we invite God into our hearts, he begins to take care of these things that are problems for us. And uh, so when I, when I ask that question to the, you know, to people, they often think that, well, it's, we got to overcome the, uh, the sin in our lives, the unrighteousness, and then we become acceptable to God. And it's just the opposite. So God says, come to me, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. It says, come to me and I will give you rest. So the answer to the sin problem or the unrighteousness problem 
that comes from ungodliness is to join ourselves together with God again. And he's more than happy, more than gracious to begin to change our lives. It's important for us to see, because we're a city ministry, Simplicity is a city ministry, how, how does this work with the everyday life of people who are in the city? And, you know, a lot of bad stuff happens in the city, doesn't it? Yeah, we, we've had uh, <laughs> car accidents out in front and all kinds of uh, licentious activities going on around the neighborhood. It seems like sin is having its way in the world around us, even around the neighborhood of Simplicity. It's a, just a couple doors down there, you know, there's a drug house and other sorts of things going on. And so we need to make this a, a reality for people on the street, so to speak, because we don't wanna just be about theology here. And that is to say that people are stuck in sin, a sin cycle, because they don't have God in their lives. They don't know that. They just know that they're in a cycle. And if you were really ever get to ever get a chance to talk to them, they would say they would have a preference to not be in that cycle. Yeah. A lot of people just think, oh, well, it's just because I don't have enough money. And it's just because the kids aren't happy at school. And it's just because this person that is with me, whatever the excuse is, People think it's, you know, these temporary things when they come to realize, oh, well, this is something much larger that I, I can't get myself out of when they realize that and that the gospel has the power to solve these issues, then, you know, it's like a light comes on. Yeah. So the question should be in the worst situations that you could find yourself in, whether it's a terrible relationship, an abusive relationship, an addiction, uh, in those types of things, is there a place for righteousness to find its way into your life? And how would that occur? Because people in those situations have tried, they try in their lives to overcome those things and they fall back again and again. And I, I don't, I'm not just pointing at them. I'm pointing at myself is I, even with little things, so what I would consider little sins or even big sins that I try on my own to overcome, I seem to fail over and over and over and over again. And that's because I forget the measure of God's grace is such that he says, call on me and allow me to take care of those things in your life. And so instead of just telling people this is God's law and this is how you need to live your life and if you do, you, you become savable, we should be teaching them that God desires to be in them and dwell with them and he wants to be the antagonist to sin and, and the sin that, 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 that is giving them trouble. He wants to be the one who's the, already won the victory through his son, Jesus Christ, to change your life. And so if we can teach them that way and allow them to practice that in their lives, God is more than faithful to begin to have victory over unrighteousness as 
they become more and more like him. So one of the stories that I can think of, uh, a little boy who has been coming to our Sabbath school program and uh, our kids' church program, his name's Derek. He's five years old and he got some money recently and uh, $2. The, the children's programming has been having an effect on him to the point where he said to his mom, you know, I want to uh, I'm going to keep one, $1 and then I want to give one at church. And that really surprised her. And, but it also, you know, warmed her heart. So when we heard that and how even he was willing to make that small sacrifice, that was a clear indicator for us that, you know, God is working in the lives of, of that family and especially the heart of that little boy. Thanks for listening. Visit AdventistCityMinistries.com for more resources, including a study guide, reference compilation, and free downloads of our book, The Ephesus Model. You can also listen to other presentations and episodes of this podcast. See the show notes for links and more information.